Let's pray together. Jesus, we owe it all to you. That can be a very churchy word, a cliche, but we really do. I believe that. Many believe that here. I pray that you would convict us to see that, to remind us of that. We love the empty tomb. We love the resurrection. We look forward to Easter Sunday. Uh, But to get there, we have to go through the cross. You had to go on the cross. And I pray we would realize that. We would remember that. You died for us. What we could not do. That is our salvation. For those who don't know it or don't get it, I pray your Holy Spirit would convict right now. I pray that your, your power would be felt because you are here. I pray that your grace would be known, that we'd be a people of grace uh, to one another, um, to those who are not Christian, to those who are not Christian who say they're Christian. We have many struggles. And our youth, pressures, our adult lives, the work, the keeping up. Over the next two weeks, or over the next 11 or 12 days, maybe walk to the cross and just know what you have done. May that happen this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you. Have a seat. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back. However, we will not get to that passage uh, until towards the end of the sermon. Uh, I'm going to be using a lot of other verses that will be up on screen. I love reminders. Do y'all love reminders or, or not? You know, like you remind? You're like, okay. I need reminders. So this sermon for some of us is a reminder. But then I get reminders, not just daily, I mean sometimes hourly. Uh, I get reminders often between the connect time here and the sermon. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like the two songs? You know what I'm well, let me give you a glimpse. So I come after the connect time, and I am reminded uh, by my better half, uh, lovely Linda. It's like, you you got to say this. So, therefore, a reminder is that not only are we inviting folks for the Easter egg lunch, we need some food. So, anybody up for bringing some food? And we have food. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Y'all bring food, right? She's great. And I, I, she knows I say that in love, right? So, and if you happen to listen to the podcast, bring food next Sunday. So, there you go. Okay, but this is, this is another reminder sermon. We are doing a series, those of y'all who know, on the seven deadly sins. Call it eight blessings for seven sins. Say it eight blessings because it's actually going to overlap Easter and go into the following Sunday. But with each sin we focus on, we end with a blessing. Because we look at sin as hard and we've covered pride. We have covered greed last week. We've covered envy. Next week, we'll hit on wrath. I think the last one is, is gluttony, which honestly is like, that's my, that's my sin. But today is, is that day. It, it's the lust day. You know what I'm saying? It, I mean, it, it is that day. And I, I say that because, I mean, some of you may be, be visiting, and I think this is a great topic. I think it needs to be addressed a lot of friends and family for the baptism. This, this is the lust day. So uh, you, you got here on that day. Now then, <clears throat> we have tied every sin, though, to a beatitude, which is found in Matthew 5. So today's beatitude is Matthew 5, 8. Put it up there. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
which really does tie to lust, purity in heart. And I'm going to be talking a lot about the heart, where lust begins. And the pure in heart shall see God. I also think purity in the heart, in the life, is a fight, is a battle. Uh, Not just with the world we live in, externally, internally, in the heart. And we will address that too. So we're going to jump right in. uh, And today, again, I'm going to use a lot more scripture than I normally do. Some of y'all will be like, man, that's great. Or some of you will be like, "Uh, you know, tell more stories, something like that. I don't know. But I just felt led by the Lord to really walk us as much as possible in the short time we have. And it'll be short, okay? In the short time we have, what does the Bible say about lust? And so my prayer, and I should probably say this every Sunday, I don't want you to be convicted by me. I'm a created person. I want you to be convicted by God's Word. God's Word is eternal. Uh, It came long before us. It was breathed by the Holy Spirit. And it will be here after we are in glory or uh, long gone. So my prayer is that you're convicted. And we're really going to hit three simple questions. What is lust? Where does it live? How to fight it. What is lust? Where does it live? Where does it abide? How do we fight it? Uh, First off, what is lust? Okay, this may be more information than you want, but the Greek word is called, uh, if I pronounce it right, epithumeia. Now, I say that because it's literally translated uh, desire in Scripture, and you can have good desires and bad desires. For example, the same word for bad desires or lust is used in 1 Timothy 3.1. Let's put this verse up on screen. Look at this. It is a trustworthy statement, and this is obviously English. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. Now, I could have underlined that word desires, but I'll just do it by saying it. For sinful lust is used for healthy, sanctifying lust, holy lust, okay? That word desire, which is interesting, kind of fascinating to me. So there's good and bad lust, and you find this through Scripture, that word. And... But we want to focus today more on the the sinful lust. So so what would sinful lust be? What is it? Sinful lust is anything that we we lust for, we desire for, outside of what God has called good. You're like, well, what does God call good? Well, that's why we have this, okay? And this is over and above, and I'm going to end with uh, some talk on this, but over and above, often how we feel over and above our heart. We're going to look at, our heart, at the heart later. But what God calls good, this is, this is where we find it. His word. So sinful lusts are things that we lust for, desire for, that are outside what God has said, you know, this is good. This is, this is what I have in store for you. This is what I want for you. This is how you will flourish in life. And I'm very big on that word. I, love, I want to see all of you, all of you, all of us, flourish in how God's gifted you with your talents, with your lives, with your relationships, with your marriages, with your children. I want to see us flourish. And, and God has, has given us a framework in Scripture. So that, that's broadly sinful lust. And we, we think of lust most clearly, and what we will hone in on is the sexual lust. Sexual lust. So 
What is the sexual lust? Well, clearly said, God's given us a framework. And he says that sex should be between a man and a woman in the confines, the context of marriage. So, if, do the math, and I'm not good at math, but logically, anything outside that is sinful sexual lust. Now, I this too because, you know, whether you call this a hot topic or controversial topic, or we all struggle with lust. You may not struggle with sexual lust. You may not struggle with versions of sexual lust. But all of us lust, all of us desire something. So it's important to look into God's Word and say, this is what He calls good. And those things that are outside that are sinful lust. And then, so take the example of sexual lust. So what does He call good? What is, and I'm being as, as simple, as clear as possible. What does God call good in sexuality? In the Bible. And that's my... What do you call it? Map, framework, life plan, worldview. Starts with the Bible. It says man and a woman in the context of marriage. Now, towards the end, we'll get to things of guilt and feelings. But right now, I just want us to try to see clearly what God calls good. Sinful lust, sexual lust outside of that. Okay? So an example would be, so I'm a guy, so I'll, I'll pick on us guys. So an example would be, as a man, us men, if we look at, and I'm going to use woman, although, you know, in today's time, it, you know, you can go past that, but I'll use woman, okay? And I'll use temptations that, that I face or we face. If you look at a woman, whether that is on a computer, uh, whether that is in person, whether that is in your imagination, and you desire her or you put your will and your pleasure above, over and above what God says is good, then, then you are, you're not wading into, you're running into sexual lust. So that would be you know, the, the clearest example. Let's look though, I said I was going to use a lot of scripture, what the Bible says about lust, some verses, passages. I find these really good. So first off, Ephesians 2.3. This tells me sinful lust is as natural for us as breathing. Ephesians 2.3. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Keep that verse up there for just a moment. Now that verse proceeds... The great verse, we're all saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2.8. So yes, it's God's grace, and we believe. But before this, Paul is really real, as he's prone to do, and calls it as he sees it. We all lived in the lusts of our flesh. I mean, sinful lust, I mean, it's as natural as, as breathing. We'll see why, but let's go to 1 Peter 2.11. 1 Peter 2.11 Two one okay, got it. First Peter four two. So we had a typo on the text. There we go. We got First Peter two. Write down First Peter two eleven and look it up. Okay, First Peter four two. So as to the as to live the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Now keep that verse up there for a moment. 
This would say that the lusts of the flesh, the sinful lusts, are, this is important if we're Christian, if we call ourselves Christian, are contrary to Christian life. As in like, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do them. But it's not about doing, we should, we should focus on God to move to a new heart. I'll get to that later. But, but it is contrary to a Christian life. So you can be like, come to church, group, uh, mission trip. I'm going to give some good examples here. I, I, can, I, can, I can look the part... And, and I'm sleeping around. Uh, or I've got a hidden life. Uh, I talked about this several months ago about how God turns on the light in our lives. We can't live where, well, I've got three quarters of my house lit up, but I've got this dark room. Sometimes it's literally that I go into. It's contrary to Christian life. Okay. Uh, another verse, Mark 4.19. We got that one? We got Mark 4.19. But the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. My point in putting that verse up there is that the lusts of the flesh, uh, the, those desires, they... You, that's what I mean by this. You can say, hey, I can be Mr. and Miss Good Christian, and I can keep this room hidden and dark. The lusts of the flesh choke God's word. That's literally what Scripture says. It, there is no like, oh, this is a safe zone and this is like fun, exciting, danger zone. The fun, exciting, danger zone will choke the healthy zone. The Bible says it. Put up John, the John verse. John, next one. One before, one before. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I got them out of order. First John, John eight forty four. thank you. It's of the devil. John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Uh, This is really important. Um, This is really hardcore, okay? Hardcore in the positive way, talking on lust today. And that is that if you're not a Christian, your daddy is the devil. And he is, he's not just speaking, he's breathing lies constantly. How you feel is right, how you feel is good, just want to have fun, experience this. Those are lies of the devil. And let me be frank, I've lived lived in the life of those lies. So we, we can talk, okay? But it's lies, and it comes from the devil. And now that last verse, 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 16, 17. I hope y'all are taking notes on these that you could refer back to. I only have so much time. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away and all its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Here it clearly says, I mean, those, those lusts, some that we crave, some that we indulge and engage in, they are passing away, and, and one day they will be destroyed, and they will not last. Uh, what lasts is the Lord, Jesus, His Word. The Bible says the Word of God will last forever, the family of God. And there lies the devil that wants to get you to fall into his trap deceit. All right, so now, so what is lust? I want to give Scripture to... Again, I hope 
taking notes, really highlight what the Bible says about lust, defining lust. So where does it live? We would often say, well, lust lives, you know, outside and comes in. Or lust lives in just our sin. Um, We're tempted to sin. It lives in temptations. Uh, It lives in images, pictures, screens. It lives in lives in the world, lives in the culture. No. Where does lust live? Where does it abide? It's deep, deep, deep in the human heart. Uh, Lust begins, lust lives in each and every human heart. Another passage, James 1. James 1. Love these couple verses. Look at this. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, so it's given birth in our life, gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So there's a mirror image here. Jesus says the gospel is a seed that grows. Here, uh, the lust is like a seed. begins hidden, and it gives birth to sin, actions, and ultimately brings forth death. Um, death of death of marriages, obviously that's an explicit one, death of careers, uh, death of death of a soul. Um, now, soul can be redeemed, guilt is covered by the blood of Christ but it can bring forth death. So how does this happen? How, do, how, does, how, how does it live here? And how, how does James 1 happen? Well, I'd, I'd use three words. Daydream being the first. Why do we daydream? Think about it. Why do we daydream? We daydream about uh, beauty. Oh, I wish I looked like her for women. I wish I was as good of a mom as her. For guys, I wish I looked like him, or I wish I had that career, or wish I had that life. Why do we daydream? Those daydreams are lusts of the flesh, too. It's desires, same word. Why do we daydream? Because we're empty. We're, we're all empty. We need to be filled by the love and grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. But we believe these lies of the devil who will say, well, you need this that will fill you up. And maybe this is a him or a her, or maybe this is just a a look of a life. And as we said at the very beginning, drawn to worship God, I mean, we all all are worshipers because we all start empty and we say, I need this and I'll worship this. And if I have this, I will be complete. We daydream because we're empty. And so what happens when uh, the lusts are, are there and we recognize them and sometimes we engage in them, we make an appraisal. Now, I'm not a, my wife can tell you I'm not a handyman, I'm, I'm not a builder, I mean, but, you know, you do an appraisal of a house, and, you know, you check it out and see how much it's worth, okay? What happens, we daydream, and then we'll do a, an appraisal. The heart literally does an appraisal of life. And we say, okay, this is what I need. And an appraisal of your life is always self-centered and not God-centered. I hope you're understanding this. I hope you're tracking with me, like I say, because this happens with all of us. We appraise our life, and it's always self-centered. It's 
hardly ever God-centered. So we say, well, I, I need this. And we very rarely say, well, I need God or I need more of God. He only can fill me. He can make the emptiness be gone and feel complete. So we appraise our life and we say, I need this. So we start with a daydream, move to an appraisal, and then the last, another business term, an exchange is made. So we exchange what we think or feel is good or beautiful for what God says is good and beautiful. Starts with a daydream, then we appraise our life, we say, oh, this is what I need. And then we exchange. Maybe it's the glory of created for the glory of the created. Maybe it's the beauty of the flesh for the beauty of God. But it, that's a pattern. I mean, I, look, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other lives. And we buy into the lie. So what's an example? I mean, let's get softball, talking lust, easy example, but, but porn, Okay. I mean, porn now readily, easily happens. So what? Ha- but when a man—I'll pick on us men now—you know, when a man starts daydreaming, then there's an appraisal. Well, I need this, and we give the excuses. I, I need this. This is why. Clicks on that screen, engages, indulges. He is exchanged. The beauty of what God says is beautiful and good. He's exchanged it for, I mean, it could be many things. It could be the lie of the devil. It could be what he thinks is good and right and beautiful and, and feels good. But that exchange is made. And it starts in the heart. So what love is, where it lives, and here is most important for us. But to get here, we had to define it. How do you fight it? How do you fight lust? Well, first, some more scripture passages. You need to know that the heart is deceitful. Jeremiah 17, 9, 9 through 10. This is the Bible, okay? When you say we're Christians, we believe the Bible. I want us to learn the Bible, know the Bible. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. The heart, the heart is more deceitful than all else. Uh, Jeremiah admits no words. And is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Then I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. So first, to fight it, we have to understand that the heart tricks us, and the devil manipulates the heart, and it deceives us. And then we also have to know that lust is not just clicking on the screen or engaging physically. Jesus... As he always does, I mean, he, no pun intended, he drives the nail home. Matthew 5, 27, 28. Words of Christ. I mean, you can kind of, I mean, there's some of you here like, I don't know about Old Testament. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, you can be here and not be a Christian and be like, well, I like the words of Jesus. I, I like the teachings of Jesus. You don't know about, so here's the words of Jesus. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So we kind of got to know internally the parameters of our heart. Externally, 
how we look, you know, here's what he's saying. We've got to kill that. So how do you fight it? We look to Jesus. First, I, I don't know if all me included, we don't get how beautiful Jesus is. We don't get how beautiful the cross is. We're like, yeah, cross and Good Friday. Man, let's have a good rah-rah Easter morning service. And yeah, I can live forever. And, but the cross, I mean, blood. I mean, it's the most beautiful thing in life. I mean, can you, can you imagine that? Can you think on it? What's the most beautiful thing? You know, hopefully, we guys will say our wife, right? right? If we're married, right? Right, guys? Well, right, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, maybe, but obviously that is in our life. But even, even greater, more beautiful, is that your creator. And I'm thankful you're here. I don't know if we have any atheists, but even agnostic, if you're an agnostic, I mean, that there's a higher power. Your creator, the Christian worldview would say your creator is your savior. So your creator became human, baby Jesus, but your creator gave his life for you. I mean, you have had someone die for you. And that someone also created you and created everything else. And he came down from his throne, literally a throne, a throne, a king, became a servant. Isaiah 53, 5. This is talking about Jesus. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him by his scourging. Some translation says, by his stripes, we are healed. The most beautiful thing is the love that God has for you, for me, for us, that he would give his own life. And I say that because we get tricked and we fall into the trap that these images and these desires are more beautiful than that. And the devil is working full on to make that happen. And it's kind of like, I mean, in this culture, in the Bible Belt, in the buckle of the Bible Belt, I mean, it's kind of like, I mean, we got youth here, we got kids here. I mean, it's kind of like uncool. You know, what do you call it? Jesus freak? Or be all about Jesus? Or Jesus the most beautiful thing? I mean, I, or that's what I thought when I was a youth and teen and college. I mean, I, I kept a lot of dark rooms dark. I have one light room, so yeah. I, I mean, I'm in. <laughs> I'm in. I got my eternal life. I'll come Easter. And yet, trying to show what the Bible says, it ends leads to death. So how do you fight it? Well, you look to Jesus, okay? But then also, we have to have a full-on assault offensive against sinful lust and towards what I call sanctified lust. So how do you fight sinful desire? You fight desire with desire. And that's, just, that's what I've found to be uh, the most true, the most helpful. You fight desire. Same word again, remember? Same word that base, epithumia, sinful lust, fight it with sanctified lust and a full-on assault to move to, and again, churchy words here, but this is, I believe this is the truth, sanctified, holy lust, desiring of God, desiring God more and more. Two tools that I think help, have helped me, I think would help you, uh, very practically speaking. One, admit you have an issue with it. Uh, I sent a devotion this week to our men. I don't know if y'all read it or not. Some of you may have read it. A lot of you maybe didn't. You know, I don't. But about creating a culture of vulnerability, we, we, will never, we will never accomplish or move forward, both the personal 
and the corporate and church, unless there's a culture of vulnerability and that there's a safe space. And quite frankly, I think the space was safer when we like met in the gym and you could just kind of be raw. Now, I mean, we look, you know, I mean, kind of prettied up bellwether. And it's harder to be like, yeah, man, you know, I got this issue. I admit I have this issue. But you got to do that. That's a tool. So at first you admit, but the other thing is, admit's kind of, actually, once you get rolling, it's, it's easier. The second one, I think, is, is tougher. That's agree with God on his beauty. I, I really think this is, because, I mean, I, some of the things I'm saying now, I mean, if you're listening, if you're tracking with me, you're like, I don't know if I agree with that. That's a big, to agree with God on his beauty. Agree with God's beauty on marriage. What he says about marriage. How he defines it. Do we agree with that? Agree with God on sexuality? Do we, do we agree with that, really? Are we just playing a game? Just kind of striking a pose? You know, use, using the church? I mean, I, I know my answer to that back in the day. Admit you have an issue, but the tough, agree with God on His beauty. And I think that only happens by the Holy Spirit. That's why I said I hope, I hope you're convicted by God's Word and not by mine. Now... We do get to Colossians 3, what I said at the beginning. So real quick as we close up. Colossians 3. Again, this is how to fight lust. How to fight it. Verse 1. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ. Therefore. I love that. Therefore. If you say you're Christian. Because if you say you're Christian, you've been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above. Seek it out. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This is, this is another part of the beauty, that he, he rose and he is seated and his, his throne is eternal. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you too have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We're a Christian. I, I heard somebody say this. How do you know if someone's a Christian? I mean, everybody can say, well, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I believe. Do you... Christ gave you new life. Is your life in him? Did the old self die? That's how I think you, that's how I think you can see, determine if somebody's a Christian. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, he uses therefore again, consider the members of your earthly body, members of your body, parts of your body, as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil, Desire and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speak from your mouth. This is a new person it's describing. This is a Christian. This should be a Christian. All things in love, Paul says. How do we do this? Later on in this chapter, he gives us some great advice. The Word of God, verse 16, let the Word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. You ask why we sing in church, you know. The Bible says it. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Why I'm so big on daily quiet time or rise with God time, and I really try to just myself. I mean, going back to that, we need God's Word. We need it not to uh, 
do it for a study guide with a small group or to prepare for a sermon, but for our life, for our personal life, to, to dwell on it, to think about it, to ponder it, to absorb it, to memorize it, to read it. It's, it's the main thing we've got. We have the Holy Spirit, but, you know, I'm practical. This is, this is concrete. This is the here and now. Daily. Sometimes I don't do it daily. But I try to do it daily. Last thing. It's defined it. What is lust? Where does it live? How to fight it? Look. And here's where you end up like, you may have pushback or you may be like, man, I just feel kind of, I mean, you may feel guilty. Like, man, I think like that. I've lived like that. Three things. And I've heard uh, some wise people say these things. I heard one wise woman say them this week. One, you could say, well, this is who I am. And let me be honest. So I, I've used that phrase before. This is who I am. I, I'm, just, I'm a passionate man. This is who I am. Anybody ever said that? As a Christian, listen to me. How you are is not who you are. Period. How you are is not who you are. That's for those who say, you know, this is, this is my identity. Sexual identity. How you are is not who you are. Those who carry guilt. Man, lived this life or had this affair, had these incidents, had multiple, you know, had engaged, all of this. You know, man, I'm just guilty. Look, if you're a Christian, then the blood of Christ covers you. It's done, period. The feelings of guilt is a lie of the devil. It's another lie of the devil. I want no one walking out of here any Sunday feeling guilty because it's not the gospel. You receive Christ. If you're a Christian, if you're like, therefore, Paul said, the blood of Christ, the cross covers you. It's it's done. You don't have to walk in guilt. You're new. And then last thing, whether you call it an excuse or pushback, you could say, well, I really feel this way. I mean, these are my feelings, bro. I feel like, you know, I want her, or him, or I feel this. And feelings are right, right? <laughs> Not in a biblical worldview. I mean, I'm serious. I'm serious. The Word of God goes above and over our feelings. Because the devil will use our feelings. And the heart tricks us. So, you know, and start fighting lust. I mean, you can simply put, like, if you're a Christian, start obeying God's word. And I believe God will cleanse you and, and wash it out, and you will move to a sanctified holy lust, desiring God. How do I know? I've been on that journey. Trust me. Still on that journey. Trust me. Definitely not arrives but I'm walking, I'm moving. So really, last thing. You can say, man, this is who I am. How you are is not who you are. You could say, man, I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm a wreck, I'm guilty. The blood of Christ covers you if you're a Christian. You say, well, this is how I feel. The word of God is over our feelings. It is greater, it is more important. So, think about, leave you this. The most beautiful thing you know. I could think of, man, my child, uh, beautiful Beautiful son, beautiful daughter, 
Think about my wife. Think about family. Think about the most beautiful thing in eternity and in history is Jesus Christ and what he has done. And we got to go there. It's right. Go to the cross. It's why we do, we do communion. It's no rote deal. It's no prettying up. It's no like, hey, we kind of merge some traditional stuff in there. No. No. It's like the most important thing we do. It's come to the cross. It is an invitation. Invitation to be saved. To say, man, I'm going to lay it down for you. I'm, I'm going to surrender. I want the new. I believe that your blood covers me. However, a real Christian is a new life. They're in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. And the Holy Spirit can do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, make us new. Make us new in Jesus by your Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.